Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. El Paso, Texas is breaking the record for the hardest hit sector for illegal immigration. Last month alone, more than 53,000 people attempted to cross in that sector alone. House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy today took a trip to this area where he vowed to take action on this ongoing surge. NTD's Melina Wisecup has more. So Melina, uh, what did Leader McCarthy say that the GOP could do to deal with this issue? Well, first of all, Steve, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy today is calling on Secretary Mayorkas to resign. He and many Republicans have repeatedly accused Mayorkas of lying to lawmakers when he repeatedly testifies that the border is secure, even as illegal crossings have hit unprecedented levels and deadly drugs like fentanyl continue to pour in. Now, McCarthy says that if Mayorkas chooses not to resign, um, there's consequences. He's giving him a stern warning. Here's a look. This is why today I am calling on the secretary to resign. He cannot and must not remain in that position. If Secretary Mayorkas does not resign, House Republicans will investigate every order, every action, and every failure will determine whether we can begin impeachment inquiry. Now, while these, uh, this messaging and this warning from McCarthy for Mayorkas to resign comes as no surprise, another aspect of McCarthy's major announcement today is quite surprising. So he says he does plan to hold House hearings at the border physically as a way to kind of force Democrats to get down there and see the situation with their own eyes, which Republicans have repeatedly accused Democrats of ignoring. And a similar criticism came from a Democrat this week, Democrat Senator Mark Kelly of Arizona. He accused members of his own party of not actually seeing, uh, knowing really the reality of what's going on at the border. Um, in an interview earlier this week, he said, um, I'll quote it right here for you. He said that uh, when he first got to Washington, he it didn't take him long to realize that there are a lot of Democrats who don't understand our southern border and a lot of Republicans who just want to talk about it and don't necessarily want to do anything about it. They just want to use it politically. So that's coming from Democrat Senator Mark Kelly this week. And all of this is unfolding at a time when Title 42 is set to end at the end of December, per the Biden administration's request. Title 42 is that public health order that allows Border Patrol agents to quickly expel illegal immigrants. Um, while that's set to end, a group of 15 states have asked the court to put a hold on this and keep Title 42 in place. So we'll see how all of this plays out in the courts and ultimately how it plays out in Congress once the dynamics change next Congress in the House. Steve, back to you. Melina, thank you. And to assess the ongoing crisis at the southern border and the implications behind it, we're happy to have senior national security fellow from the Center for Immigration Studies, Todd Bensman. Todd Bensman, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you. Todd, the newly uh, led Republican Congress is vowing to take unprecedented steps. Uh, Leader McCarthy just gave a speech down at the border. Um, including investigating the current DHS secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, calling on him to resign. You study the border situation. You spent a lot of time there. What do you make of this? Well, I, I do spend a lot of time at the border, and I interview a lot of immigrants 
uh, probably thousands of them over the last couple of years. And the majority of the ones that I interview tell me that they're coming because of these policies that the administration is putting out there for them. They're opening the door, they're letting them in, they're bringing them in on parole, they're giving them work permits. Uh, they're being really lavishly rewarded for their illegal entry and paying cartel smuggling fees to get in. And so, uh, you know, based on what the immigrants are saying, you know, for sure, it is Mayorkas's policies that are directly responsible for what's happening at the border, the greatest mass migration crisis in American history. So I can understand why the Republicans in the new House uh, would be frustrated and pent up and want answers and want to press uh, this particular DHS secretary who's gotten a complete free pass, free ride for two years. Todd, even if we were to see Mayorkas uh, resign um, or impeached, um, if that were to happen, uh, without the administration, the current administration, the Biden administration as a whole coming to terms with this, what do you think will, will continue to happen? And are you concerned about the status quo? Well, right after the midterms, Joe Biden held a press conference and he was asked, you know, are you going to do anything different policy-wise? And his answer was, nothing. So if the president plans nothing, no change, they believe that there's no problem at the border instead of the massive unprecedented crisis that's happening, then even if Mayorkas were to step down or resign or somehow get impeached, which I don't think is going to actually uh, succeed, but uh, you don't know what kind of a replacement you're going to get. You could just get a Mayorkas 2 or a sequel to Alejandro Mayorkas, who's maybe even worse, who knows? Uh, but if the president is perfectly fine with having a, an o a wide open border where everybody and anybody who comes near it gets across and into the interior legally with no threat whatsoever of deportation, you know, what's the point? Todd, I wanna ask you, McCarthy referenced the uh, shutdown of ICE nationwide what does what did he mean by this and what is the actual situation with ice how have they or are they being uh, obstructed so on the very first day of the biden administration they implemented a moratorium on deportation absolutely unprecedented unheard of and completely illegal uh, because this is in line with hard progressive liberal ideology, that there be no deportation, no detention, no immigration laws at all. All human beings have an inalienable right to go wherever they want is the ideology. The courts, you know, there was sued, there were lawsuits and everything, so the courts immediately threw that out, said you can't do that. So the administration came in and did some internal rulemaking for ICE that had the same effect, where ICE agents were chained to their desks with nothing to do. They were not allowed to make arrests. They were not allowed to pick up anybody. They were given no-go zones, uh, college campuses, hospitals, schools, wherever, a whole long list of places that they could never go and never make arrests, required to call headquarters if they needed to arrest an aggravated felon that they came across. 
the number of people that they were allowed to arrest became this narrow, like terrorists, which there's not that many that you can find, and the FBI is going to get them anyway if you do find them. Uh, so it is true that the number of arrests uh, for of criminal aliens plummeted by 70 and 80 percent almost overnight, and they stayed down there. Uh, the number of regular illegals are not allowed to deport anybody, uh, pretty much, you know, and so the numbers have just plummeted. And what Kevin McCarthy said is absolutely accurate. Uh, there is essentially uh, an abolishment of ICE in this country. They did what they said they would. Todd Benzman, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Joining us to discuss Twitter's recent move to reinstate major conservative accounts, we have Bradley Smith. Smith served as commissioner of the Federal Election Commission. Bradley Smith, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. It's my pleasure. Now, besides the obvious of conservative accounts like Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene being reinstated on Twitter, are there greater implications here? Um, just really curious how to view this through your lens. Well, for me, the most interesting thing has been, uh, I think it's nothing almost short of a freaking out uh, by, by folks uh, on parts of the political left. Uh, you know, Twitter's a private company, and people often have to point out that the First Amendment doesn't apply to private entities. They can censor, so to speak. But there's a spirit of the First Amendment in which we have confidence that we can listen to ideas, we can reject those that are no good, that the truth will win out, and a certain humbleness there that we're not sure that we're right, which is why we let other people speak and why we let other ideas out. And the idea that you know Donald Trump, who was president of the United States, or Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's a congresswoman, are too dangerous to be heard by the American people uh, strikes me as itself a dangerous philosophy, and one that ultimately, if their ideas really are that bad, will leave those ideas to kind of simmer and 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 bubble away below the radar, where in fact they're not subjected to the scrutiny you know of of, of uh, hard examination and proven wrong. So if you really think they're wrong, you should you should have confidence that they can participate in Twitter and that it's not gonna be the end of American democracy. Now, there are certain accounts that have still yet to be reinstated, such as, uh, I believe, Alex Jones and Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, what do you say to the all or nothing argument? Well, uh, you know, let's put it this way. Some moderation is probably going to exist. In other words, if people just insist on you know, using, uh, you know, foul language, harassing people, that sort of thing, you're going to have content moderation there. But again, you know, I don't think that one can, can say that Alec Jones is going to destroy uh, America. And, and you have to consider this all in the light of the fact that Twitter has had on it at the time when many of these people were banned, uh, various, uh, you know, terrorist groups, autocratic governments, and uh, others who would, who would seem, I think, to the average American to be even more unsavory. So again, I, th I think we need to have some confidence that Americans can hear different views and, and respond to them appropriately. So how do you see the um, you know, freeing or unleashing, if you will, Twitter 2.0 uh, impacting other social media companies who still do throttle and censor conservative ideas such as Facebook, Google, and YouTube? Well, one of the things is we'll have to see, you know, how it works out. I mean, right now you have an, an attack on Elon Musk and Twitter uh, with, you know, big corporations pulling their advertising, all these columns about how this is such a catastrophe and so on. If this works, I think it, it will 
be a very bad sign for the, for the country, for both our free speech and, and ultimately long-term for our democratic self-government. Uh, we need to show uh, that, that uh, Twitter can thrive and, and will thrive, and uh, that you don't win out, you know, commercially by trying to censor voices just because they don't fit a preconceived narrative. So I think it's important uh, for people to continue to participate in Twitter, uh, to rejoin Twitter if they've dropped out, and, and to help make this a success for for Elon Musk. I think he's obviously a savvy uh, businessman. I don't know what his plans are, but I hope it works out. I think it will be good in the long term for American democracy, and again for just the exchange of ideas for free speech for openness, for doing away with some of the simmering discontent that's there where people feel like there's this kind of elite that controls Academy and Hollywood and big business and the universities and is trying to keep other voices from being heard. Now, as former commissioner of the FEC, um, how big of a concern is the censorship of conservatives in terms of our elections? And what impact do you think it ultimately had on the 2020 election and uh, this past midterms? That's a great point. I mean, if you look at the 2020 elections, of course, you had the whole Hunter Biden laptop issue, uh, something that was, uh, you know, largely blacked out in the media except for the New York Post. And then they had had some of their accounts uh, shut down in, in various media. And, and many people said that might have made a difference. So I, I think it, it you know, it, it these are very powerful companies. And I think they have a, a public interest in fostering free speech and, and open debate, and they should think of themselves in, in that way. Uh, I think uh, Elon Musk and I, and I hope Twitter you know, are committed to that notion that, that everybody gets to speak. One of the things you saw in 2020, I talked to people about this a lot, and, and I don't think that there was much fraud in the 2020 election, no more than usual, which is not very much. But that's not to say that the elections were fair, and one way in which they were unfair was this effort to silence and, and cut out of the debate various points of view. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny that, that now, uh, more than two years later, CBS News has just reported that, oh, the Hunter Biden laptop seems to be authentic. Um, you know, two years ago, that might have made a, a difference. And uh, I, I think if, if we want the function democracy to function well, we have to have the free flow of information so that voters can make informed decisions. Bradley Smith, former FEC commissioner, thank you. Thank you. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.